Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we have a very interesting story. We have told it before. Noelle Blevins joins our show again. Noelle, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me back. So your story got so much traction. I had so many people reach out because it is on the topic of reactive attachment disorder or RAD. And we talk a lot about attachment on this show. Some of you are like, whoa, April just really jumped into it. I know because I have a lot to say in this little intro, because I think that it's a topic that no one wants to talk about, right? You want to talk about an adoption getting matched to a child or a baby, bringing home that baby, and it's happily ever after. And we all want that story, and some of us get it, and some of us don't. In that challenging time, there needs to be people talking about what to do when your child is struggling with attachment or when you're struggling with attachment as a parent. So this show is dedicated to all the people who... It's not happily ever after. Every day is hard, and you're confused at where to go and and what to do, and you you don't have anybody to talk to. Noelle is just a great person to talk to about this, and let's talk about your story. You and I are friends. We met way back when, when we both worked at a gym together, and I had just (laughs) adopted AJ. And I'll tell you what, when we brought AJ home, we could have gotten anybody to adopt because he was the perfect baby, wasn't he? He was so adorable. He was the perfect baby. <laughs> and he everybody would say, was. I want to adopt. I want to adopt. And you were one of those people. You're like, this little guy makes me want to adopt. And you and James had already been talking about adoption. You had two children, yes. right? Two teenagers? Yes, two high schoolers. And so you were talking about extending your family and you wanted to go pick up an AJ. Remember, you'd always say that? I want to pick up an AJ. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Although I, my one stipulation was no diapers. <laughs> so within that year, I remember you talking about it a lot. And finally, you guys did your home study and you got matched so fast. We got matched very quickly. Um, in fact, I had my initial meeting with our social worker, and the the way that they did it is they separated James and I. So I went first and had our conversation and literally was matched on the spot with two boys. And I was very taken aback, um, but very excited. uh, And, you know, I just had, like, this grandiose illusions of what adoption looked like, you know, having been around you and AJ and, I just, and I remember you, April, would tell me, you say, it's not always that easy, it's hard, it can be ugly, you know, kids out of the foster care system, you can have trauma, and and I kind of put the blinders on, I'm like, oh, it's going to be great, everything's going to be fine. You were like, April, you're a Debbie Downer, stop being a Debbie Downer. I was like, can't you support me, why are you not supporting me, we're so excited. That raises a great point, because I think it's hard for those of us who have been in adoption for many years. And we understand all of the aspects of it. Maybe not all, but a lot of the aspects. And so there's this fine line between warning your friends and family, hey, this could be really hard, and being really supportive and excited and hoping that it all works out perfectly for them. You know, it's really hard for us. We don't know how much to say or then we oversay too much and scare the person. And so it's hard to be supportive. I think the best thing to do looking back is just to to be loving and 
really say very little because you don't know how it's going to turn out. And we talk about that a lot in adoption where we say, I can't tell you if your child's going to have attachment issues, even if they've been through abuse, even if they didn't have anybody loving them or taking care of them. Some children are just very resilient. They just walk Mm -hmm. into the room and they expect to be loved no matter what they've been through. And those type of children attach very quickly. And then there are children that the scars and the wounds have damaged their, their brain chemistry and they are terrified of love. And it's the very thing that adoptive families want to give, right? We just want to love these kids and these are our new kids and we're so excited and they're rejecting everything. And so because that is so challenging to explain to somebody who hasn't been through it, the best thing to do is maybe just be supportive because you're not going to talk somebody out of it or really they're not going to listen to your warning signs. I mean, I had a family on and I felt the same way, Noelle, when she was going to bring the little guy over, Lex. This is the story of Lex and their parents are Heidi and Leo. That's a podcast. They brought this little guy over from Africa and I was so nervous for them. And I'll tell you, this kid attached so fast. I am so glad I didn't say anything to her because he is amazing. So you can never really say, hey, it's going to be terrible or hey, it's going to be awesome. You can just be supportive and and love your friend. And so, hey, I'm saying it now right here on this podcast. I'm sorry I wasn't more supportive. (laughs) Well, but I will say you were right. (laughs) Uh, I like the sound of that. Yeah, <laughs> you rarely yeah, say that. True, so <laughs> you're not going to hear it again, April. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, now I have it on recording. Okay, so right. you get matched to these two so, little guys. What's the information that they told you? So we, you know, the boys at the time, um, you know, our, our oldest at the time was just shy of being six, and uh, our little guy was 18 months old. So, and they they had two very different types of abuse. One was more um, neglect, uh, very much neglect, um, extreme, actually. And then our older boy suffered horrific abuse. It's like a double-edged sword because when the social worker shared with us the, the, the details of what he had been through for almost six years of his life, it's something that you and I, as somebody that was, was raised in a you know, quasi-normal situation, you can't wrap your head around it. So my immediate reaction, like there was a little pocket of fear in the back of my head thinking, oh gosh, maybe this could result... Can he attach? What if he, you know, acts out? Can he get through this? They encouraged us, and and James and I were just kind of went into like we wanted to save him, so we went into like let's save this kid mode because at the time, the foster family that had the boys they they were in foster care for six months prior to coming to our house. They were going to split the boys up. They were going to adopt the eighteen month old and then send the almost six year old off because they felt like that he would be better fit in um, a house as an only child and didn't really go into it. So we were like, absolutely not. That's wrong. You cannot split up these brothers. You know, they're full siblings and, and we can do this. We're going to do it. And so we did. Um, it was very fast. Probably uh, our caseworker says one of the fastest cases they've ever seen in the state. Everything went very, very quickly. Um, so the boys moved in and we met them. Uh, I think it was in October and then they moved in 12 days later. Wow, that is really fast for those little guys to be pulled from that home now to your home. When you first brought them home, did you see the signs that they were talking about? Did you see that he might have needed to be in a home where he was the only child? No, definitely not. Not at first. 
they go through, obviously, and everyone talks about the honeymoon phase. And so he stepped right into the honeymoon phase and was super excited and was very helpful. And, you know, it, it was, it seemed like, oh, wow, like, this is really going to be fantastic. And I don't even know what these people are talking about. Like, he's a great kid. Again, that was the honeymoon phase until with a child that has a reactive attachment disorder, it doesn't like pop out immediately. Once they, once that, I don't, I don't want to say the word fear necessarily, but once they settle into a situation and there's the potential for them to have to be rejected by another person or another individual, and that's when it starts to come out. So basically once they kind of settle in is when I certainly started seeing behaviors. I would say that that probably took about six months max for me anyway to start seeing behaviors. So the biological parents were in jail for the abuse, right? They were, yes. So this was pretty severe. Luke had gone through severe abuse where the other one did not experience that, right? Jacob hadn't really experienced that. He was just neglected, which is a a form of abuse, but different than, than Luke. I mean, Luke suffered a broken leg. He really went through a lot. Our caseworker, and I love and adore her. She's still a dear friend of mine. Um, She's been doing this for 20 years. And sad to say that she said that this was the worst case of abuse of a child that she had ever seen in her 20 years of casework. Did he talk about it at all? No, not really. I remember having, when we first, when he first moved in, I would say in the first couple months, you know, I was trying to be mommy and bonding with him and we would kind of sit outside and talk and he would tell me some things, but it was very matter of fact. It was very like, like there was no emotion behind it. It was just like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that happens to me. Oh yeah, this happens to me. And I just remember thinking, oh, I am so sorry. That's never going to happen to you in this home. And you know, it's not your fault, right? And he's like, oh yeah, I know. It's, you know, kind of very nonchalant, like something in his brain, he had to separate from it. So he was not emotional. He he was, he, yeah, he was not emotional. He wasn't, he couldn't attach to those traumatic memories. And I, as his mom, I can say that I don't blame him. I mean, who would Mm -hmm. want to? But then was he struggling to emotionally connect to anything? Yes, absolutely. I confided in a few friends early on that I was having problems attaching to him um, and I was feeling it vice versa, that he and I were having issues attaching. I worked full time and my husband is a stay-at-home dad, so we kind of had that flipped opposite roles Mm -hmm. where I would be gone for the day and I would come home and I would see certain behaviors. You know, it started to rub me the wrong way and red flags were going off, whereas James was at home with him and at home all the time. So he was just seeing this stuff as like, you know, he was going to parent this child like he parented our other two kids and he just needed to be taught the right way to do things and taught to not lie and taught to not manipulate and James was going to teach him how to do it and parent like he would teach, you know, like you would do with a child that was naturally born to you. Sadly so, that that's just simply not the case. You, it, it's just not the case. That's a, It was a mechanism of survival for him. So... Was he attaching to James? I don't want to say he was attaching to anybody. He had more of a relationship with James, but let's forward a year. We've had him for a year when things started to get very intense. It was more of a manipulative relationship with James because James would engage him in his manipulation where I would not. Mm -hmm. I could see it and peg it, and Mm -hmm. I'm like, nope, and then I retreat and I pull away. Mm -hmm. But James tried to be his dad and parent and parent and parent and kept going and going and going. And we would have, you know, quite frankly, we would have arguments because 
he's still like he's trying to rationalize with a six and seven year old who is doing what I saw things completely on purpose to get the reaction from James that he was getting and he was getting exactly what he wanted. And that behavior and that circle of interaction continued for years. Okay, let's fast forward a little bit because you ended up adopting another biological sibling. You found out that a little girl was born, and so you brought home that little baby. And so now you have three. All of those details you can find on their podcast on iTunes under Adoption Now. It's James and Noelle Blevins' story. So you bring this little girl home. You guys are kind of going about your life. Fast forward a few years and tell us how bad it got with Luke. Well, it got really bad. Um, so as an, as an example, this is, this is a perfect case in point. And it may seem like nothing, but when you're dealing with a child that has reactive attachment disorder and this is the standard of behavior that you deal with every minute of the day, it's it's abnormal. So... There was one time where Luke said he wanted to go to this birthday party. Well, there was something else that we had going on, and I said, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to go. I'm sorry, but we're not going to be able to make it work. So the next day, I'm outside, and my neighbor comes over to me, and she's like, well, hey. So it was really strange. Luke came over and asked if I could take him to a birthday party because he said that you were sick and that James was out of town. And I said, what? And she's like, yeah, I thought it was really strange because I, you know, I didn't think that you were sick. And obviously James stays at home and his car is right there in the driveway. And I just thought it was really odd. And I'm like, oh, that is, yeah, thank you for telling me. And so I had to go back and talk to Luke and say, look, when I say no, when dad says no, the buff stops there. But not with a child with reaction, reaction attachment disorder because he, in his mind, it's almost like living with a 40-year-old that wants to make his own decisions and do his own thing, and, and you're just kind of a, a, a means to an end for them. Mm. Like, you're there to give them food and a bed and just leave me alone, and I'm going to do my own thing, and I'm going to figure out my own way. Right. There's no attachment. I mean, that's what we talk about There's all the no time. Attachment. Is that when a child is attached to you and you discipline them or they don't get to do something, they are still attached to you. They may be mad at you. They may not like that you said no, but they also don't like that you're mad at them or that you're upset with them. And so there's this relationship that you have, right? I mean, this is just like so normal. But when you think about it in a kid way and the way we parent and what we take for granted when our kids are attached is that we have this relationship. I tell you, no, you're upset and that's fine. But there's this love and connection. You really ultimately don't want me to be mad at you. And I don't want you to be mad at me. Right? Because Mm -hmm. we are attached to each other. We love each other. So at the end of the day, we want to work it out. And there's something in every kid that wants to please their parent. Not all the time. They may be very strong-willed, but there is a little bit of, I want my parent to be proud of me. I want my parent to like me. I want my parent to show up at my school. I want, you know, do you know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like, those are normal things. In attachment disorder, the child could care less. They don't care if you give them food, a stranger gives them food, they get to a birthday party because you're taking them or somebody else is taking them and you're mad at them, they could care less. They don't have that feeling anymore where they can connect to someone and say, this person is for me. They're on my side. They don't understand. They know they need to eat. They want to do fun things. It's very selfish. It, It appears very selfish, right? He only wanted what he wanted. Yeah, and it it was difficult, I think, too, around friends. And and I don't blame anybody that maybe even would have thought this. And I've 
probably would have thought the same thing of someone, if I was watching a family like mine, but I had never, you know, if I was on the flip side, if I was the friend who has an adopted family, you know, we struggled with him and we were hard on him because it was a constant battle, but he came across to everybody else as the absolute perfect child. When he would go to someone else's house, literally parents would come back and say, you have raised the most amazing young man, like such a great kid. He can come over anytime. But when he comes home and he has to be in a home environment, people don't see the flip side. So they never got to see what happened on the inside of the house. So when I'm out, you know, we're out and I'm getting frustrated and people think that maybe we're being too harsh on him and not allowing him to do certain things. It's because we've created this pattern of behavior that is very frustrating as a parent. Right. Well, because he's figured out how to put on the show for everyone else. He's figured out how to manipulate even outside of the home. And that is very common for attachment disorder. Do you think that he was attached to his siblings? I think they had a trauma attachment. I think they had a trauma bond. Yes. What do you You mean by that? Luke, I don't, he, he wanted to control them. He wanted to, so he attached, his attachment to them was he wanted to be their parent. So he was constantly inserting himself in front of James or myself. Like we would find him, you know, taking the kids out of their bedrooms or when we have a no bedroom, you know, we don't go into other people's bedroom policy. He would, you know, like um, six o'clock in the morning, getting them up, making breakfast and like parenting them. Right. And we would say to him constantly, you don't do not parent. We are your mom. We are the dad. You don't do that. You know, Jacob started, we noticed that he was going to Luke more than he was to us. Oh, right. I see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was just, he had to be in control and we never got emotion out of him. It was like, I was, it's like, at times you just like want to shake him and be like, you know, have some emotion, like cry or get angry or do something. Because, you know, it was just. Just connect. You're just begging him to connect connect. somehow. Right. Did you feel like you were going crazy? Absolutely. I felt like we were going crazy. I felt like, you know, our marriage was being strained. Um, I think, you know, our older children, because they, you know, they're 18, 19 at this point, um, and they could see, they're like, Mom, you guys, something is wrong. Like, this is, this is bad. This is really bad. Something is definitely wrong. We tried everything. We tried counselors. We tried asking, you know, other opinions of people that were, that have adopted and, you know, they have their own opinions about certain ways of attachment and what that looks like. And, you know, some of it to me was not, was very uncomfortable and I didn't feel like it was right for our family. It's very confusing because you feel like it's, it's somehow your fault. And there's a lot of shame involved in that too, because you bring this child home and you want to connect and you want to be attached to your own child. But when someone just manipulates and lies to you, it's, it's not possible. Right. There's that feeling of failure. And that's what I get a lot from people when we're out um, doing events. I'll have people come over and pull me aside and just say, I just need to talk to you. And they'll tell me a story just like this. And they ultimately feel like they're failing and they can't talk to anyone and they're miserable. And the child is miserable. They're miserable. The family is falling apart. And we see this a lot. Now, if you are just starting the adoption process, this is a good story for you to be aware of. But I don't want you to be fearful. I don't want you to go into it 
being fearful. I want you to go into it being educated and having resources in case this does happen. It doesn't happen to all people. Reactive attachment disorder is very rare, they say. Now, attachment issues, the range is huge. I mean, it can be from just being shocked to being in your home and not attaching right away because they're scared. And in that year, the child attaches. Or it can range from what you're talking about, Noel, where this is not functional and it's not getting better and you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so when we did our last show, you talked about that you ultimately had to move out of state. Yes. And find a facility that would help you. Let's talk about that. I left a job that I was traveling uh, in Colorado. I was in medical device and I traveled five days a week uh, for a good two years. And left that job because it was not working for our family. So we moved. I took a position here in Arizona where I was home every day and it was more manageable. And that really escalated Luke's behaviors. And I could see probably in hindsight, obviously, why, because we've taken him out of an environment. We're in a new situation. He's got to start over with a new school. And actually, that wasn't bad because kids with Brad, they, they, they just kind of, you know, I used to joke with one of uh, a social worker friend of mine. It's almost like a vagabond. Like, they're just kind of there. And they just kind of, you could put them in any, I could put Luke in an apartment by himself and he would be just fine. But we moved here, and it really sparked, and I don't know if it was his age because he was getting older, but behaviors just went just off the charts. Um, You know, it got really bad to the point where we did have to put an alarm on his bedroom door. I had safety concerns about the middle of the night with the small children, and we ended up having to get uh, DHS involved because he went family shopping at school one day asking some random kid on the playground if he could move into his house because he said that, you know, he has an alarm on his door at home and, and had said, we're, we don't feed him and we don't take care of him. So obviously that child went home as any kid would and told their parents and DHS shut up at our door the next day, rightfully so. And we knew that it was getting to that point with him because the behaviors were so intense in the house and it was so bad that frankly, I was grateful because we were already thinking, like, what are we going to do at this point? What do we do? So the caseworker was actually fantastic. She was great. She did a full investigation in one day. She wrapped it up. She goes, I can see exactly what's happening here. You guys are doing the absolute right thing. Keep that alarm on the door. Here are some possible resources for you. You know, good luck, basically. And uh, I have a neighbor across the street who is a special need foster mom and um, has dealt with this in her own life and her own family as well and told us about a place it's only 11 miles from our home and it's almost like a therapeutic home for kids and we ended up taking him on a tour there and I have to tell you April I was absolutely shocked we picked him up we went and we took him on a tour and a beautiful, beautiful property. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge property with these homes. There's 12 different homes, uh, six for boys and six for girls. And they're gorgeous homes, stunning. And uh, so we're, you know, we're walking through and Luke was absolutely effective. And we were saying, you know, this is what we're considering. Luke. This is what is really, I think we need to do right now just to take a little break. We, we were in counseling with a fantastic trauma therapist and she loved this place. Um, she thinks it would have been the best thing for him if we could get him in there. It's a nonprofit. 
so it is at no cost, which is absolutely amazing because we ran into so many roadblocks in Colorado or anywhere because everything, any type of therapy for RAD that's intense like this is so expensive that it makes it unaffordable. And unless you're a multimillionaire that you can't afford, which is really a disservice to foster with to adoptive families. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a whole different episode. But when we toured, he was very effective. And his only question was, do you have a basketball court? And I, I literally, like, I almost started crying because, like, I'm taking my son here. We're touring so that he can move into this facility. And his only concern is if there's basketball. That was the level, if, I mean, that demonstrates the level of disconnection mm-hmm. that he had. He did end up moving into one of the therapeutic homes. Okay, Noelle, we have to take a break. But last time we did the episode, we ended there. And when we come back, you're going to tell us really good news. I'm just so excited to share this part of the story. You're listening to Adoption Now. We'll be right back. Hi, this is April Fallon, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We love all of your feedback, ideas for shows, and applications to be on the show. Email us anytime at april at adoption-now.com. We would love for you to subscribe to Adoption Now podcast by clicking on the subscribe button on iTunes. Then you'll get a new story as soon as the podcast is released. Again, thank you for listening to Adoption Now. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we're talking to Noelle Blevins, and she is talking about her adoption story with her three children, Luke, Jacob, and Sarah, and all the things that they've gone through trying to get Luke to attach. And now he's been diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder. And, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this, Noelle, and I just sat down recently and talked to a social worker here in Colorado who's been working in social work for 30 years. And she was telling me about attachment disorder, and she's actually starting this program kind of like second chance adoptions. I hesitate on saying that because I get very negative feedback from that term second chance adoptions. People don't like the thought that an adoption could not work out and the child might need to go to a different home. They just don't like that. I mean, it's really hard to process that. And one of the things that the social worker and I were talking about was what's best for the child. If this is not working in your home, Mm -hmm. even though your intentions were great and you wanted this to be your son or your daughter, if things are not working, we have to look at some other options. Now, in your case, you were able to send Luke to a facility In other people's cases, they don't have that option. And some of them are looking to see if their child could be adopted by another family. She said a lot of times when the child leaves that home, they do much better. Whether it's in another facility, whether it's in another family, sometimes that's just what they need. It was too much pressure for them to have to connect or have to love somebody and dealing with all of their own issues from their past. They just can't handle it. And that is the truth. I just want to tell you that if you are listening to this and something inside you, your heart is breaking, you think, no way, that can't be true. I just want to let you know that if we stay in that place, we will not get these kids help. We will not help the families that are struggling. We will continue to shame them. We will continue to tell them you're not doing enough. We will continue with this failure mentality. And I don't want that for adoption. 
I do this podcast because I want families to be successful in adoption. And I want to look at all of the resources. I want to look at the child individually. I want to look at everything we can do to help this family. And sometimes it means the child cannot stay in the home. And that's just Mm -hmm. the bottom line. And you guys were there. And all of a sudden, you're in this place where it's not working. The little kids were in danger. Luke is now 13 years old. Is that right? He'll be 13 in November. Yes. Okay. So he was 12 when you're looking at all this. And the kids are, the other ones are littler. So how old was Jacob and Sarah? Jacob is seven and Sarah just turned five. Okay. So they're little. And so they were in a a very compromising situation. So he goes to this facility. And I remember talking to you after we did the podcast and and months after. And Noelle, you were just so upset. You were just angry. Why didn't this work out? You were questioning your faith. You and James were grieving differently. Talk to us about that. Yes. Um, It was pretty horrific. I was very, very, very angry. And I think, you know, looking back and listening to that podcast, I can hear it in my voice the anger, just because I felt like our family had just been put through the ringer in this situation. And I was mad at Luke. I was mad at, I was just mad at the entire situation. Um, and my husband had like, a, I would almost say he had like a breakdown. Like he, I've never seen him cry so much ever. He cried and he cried and he cried and he detached and he sat by himself. And, you know, I remember talking to you, April, and he talked to, he talked to Noah as well a lot. And, he, he felt like he failed as a father, like he completely failed to be Luke's dad and he couldn't, he couldn't be what Luke needed and it broke his heart and it was, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible and it made me even more angry. So, uh, you know, it's like, how can God lead us into this, but yet this be the outcome? Mm -hmm. It's such a big question mark. It's like, we were so sure. So there was a lot of confusion there was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of hurt. You know, and then we have the two little kids who now we have to try to figure out how to explain why Luke is no longer in the home. You know, that's a whole nother ball of wax, but it's fortunately we had the the therapist help us walk through that. It was very difficult, very, very, very difficult. And it took me a long time. We did not see Luke for just shy of a year. In fact, um, our trauma therapist even put a no contact rule in place just because of the degree of manipulation that he had over us. So there was a period of time where he wasn't allowed to contact us via phone. Um, He could write us letters. We could write letters back. Uh, But there needed to be separation so that everybody could take a deep breath and calm down, basically. So during the year, uh, during his first year where he is um, in in this home, we had contact still constantly with his therapist. We pay for his counseling. It's not like we just kind of dropped him off and never heard from him again. It, we we talked to his therapist. We talked to, uh, you know, the house parents where he is. And so we knew what was going on. He, he did have some struggles for the first six or seven months. We were aware of each and every one of them. Again, it was the same behaviors that we were seeing here. He was just now exhibiting them at this, you know, in this other home. Because at first so, they were like, he's so great. Right. They were right. like, he's great because yeah. this home takes them to school. They live there. You guys pay for the counseling. So he had to switch schools. But they're they're the yeah. house parents. But it's not like a foster situation. Right. It's no. it's like a what is it like a big home with dorms? No, it's not even a dorm. It's their 
gorgeous like model homes um and you know this it's very well supported through a lot of different nonprofits a lot of private uh people that that fund it um and there's i think there's eight boys in his particular home um and they each have a roommate they've got gorgeous rooms i mean they're they're, they're stunning they're just homes and there's about six boy uh, homes and six girl homes, and they're separated on the campus. And the house there's a mom swimming pool. There's oh my gosh, four H and the the mom and dad yeah. live there. Yes, so the house parents are there uh, five days a week, and then the um, the respite parents come in on the weekend so that the house parents can get a break. And they don't do therapy there, correct? Uh, they actually do. There is a therapist there, um, they, so he can do therapy there, but. We absolutely, 100%, and thank God that his house parents are exactly on the same page as we are. We actually adore his house parents. Um, they're amazing people, and uh, they agree that it's taking him for counseling with our trauma therapist is, is, is non-negotiable. So every week, and he's been going for almost a year. Okay. I guess what my question is, is it's different because this isn't a treatment center. A lot of people send no. their children to treatment centers that are $10,000. No. This isn't a treatment center. This is a home where he lives every day. He doesn't have a mom and dad that he has to attach to, but he does have rules to follow. And they yeah. are a mom and dad, but they're it's different. You know what I mean? They're, it's like they're people that are in charge of them that they have to respect and um, do your chores and that kind of stuff. And then they take them to school and back. They make sure they get to therapy Right. So it's not like a program that he's in and in six months he's going to be done and all fixed. No, absolutely not. It, there are children in this group setting um, in these homes that there's a myriad of, of different reasons why they're there. There are a lot of adoption issues. There are kids whose parents have unfortunately died and they're orphans, essentially. There are kids whose parents are homeless and they don't want their child to be on the street so that they're, you know, they're, their kids are at this particular place. So there's different um, reasons for kids to be there. We, I just can't even, I, I'm so blessed and I'm so happy and I'm so grateful that we were, that we found this, this wonderful place. Okay. So within the year, he starts off doing amazing. And of course you're thinking they must think we're crazy. And then within a few months, he's getting into trouble there. He's getting into trouble at school. You're getting these mm-hmm. updates. You're getting updates on therapy. The therapist is realizing he's not connected to anything. And then a year later, what happens? So we're a year into it now. Therapist called and she says, hey, you know, I really think it's time that you guys have a face-to-face with Luke and my heart started racing immediately because all these thoughts started flooding back, you know, all, all the memories and like all of the old emotions started to like push back in. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't think I'm ready. I don't know if I could do it. I, you know, I just don't know. And I'm so nervous. And so she's like, I really think it's time. And I trust her. So I said, great. The first Sunday of every month, they do a uh, family visit. So uh, Sunday morning, uh, a couple weeks ago, James and I went to go visit him, and I was shaking. I was so scared. And so we're sitting at this picnic table um, waiting for him, and they went, you know, they come, and then the house parents say, okay, Luke, time for you to go. So they walk him down, and I see him walking, and I haven't seen him in a long time, and he's so tall. And I'm first I was like, oh, my goodness, he looks, he's taller than I am. He's dressed very nicely, but and I noticed he's starting to like put his hands over his face. And he came and he sat across the table from us. And 
I, I am still like stunned and speechless by this. My son was bawling his eyes out, bawling, like could barely catch his breath and put his head down on the table. And then, you know, and I reached over, put my hand on him, like, oh my gosh, are you okay? What happened? You know, like immediately that mom in me like popped out and I'm like, what's going on? What is the matter, honey? What's happening? And he looked up and he looked at James and he goes, thank you so much for coming. I'm so grateful that you came. I'm just so grateful. Thank you so much. It means so much to me. And April, I literally, I almost, I just almost lost it. This is a child who I could never get a single amount of emotion out of for his entire life with us. I've never seen this in him ever. So it ended up being an amazing visit. We talked about everything. We talked about school. We talked about basketball. Um, he's enrolled in the 4-H club there, so he got a, oh, they were going to give him a goat, but he ended up getting a sheep. <laughs> so he's trying to figure out what to name his sheep. It, I couldn't, it couldn't have turned out to be a better visit. James and I both walked away from that visit saying, you know what, I could see this. I can, I can I actually see that. He could potentially, who knows, maybe one day, I don't know, just for the first time after all these years and after his that full year where he is, we could see that we could have a relationship. Maybe he would let you parent him. Right. One of the things that you told me in the year that the therapist was really trying to figure out was... What were his thoughts about his life before? Because that was all shut up, right? So all of that was shut down, I guess I should say. Everything was shut down. And so she wanted to know, what are your memories? And so when he talked about his biological mother and father, he thought they were great. And so his Mm -hmm. memories were wrong. And I remember you telling me that the therapist had to say, let me just tell you the reality of what they did to you. Mm -hmm. And that must have been so hard for him, first of all. Mm -hmm. And secondly, it feels like when the reality shifted in his mind of what really happened and then who you guys really were, I mean, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And, And from the story before where you're saying, you know, God led us into this. Why would he do this? Why would he do this? Really, that you have walked this through with this little boy and allowed him to feel something you guys have changed his life. And you know, it, it might not feel like that because, well, he's out, he's out of our house, but you have aligned him with the right people to get him to where he needs to be. And that's what adoption is all about, right? It's not about us. It's about us grabbing these kids and helping them get to where they need to get to, to find that healing, to find that love, to find that connection. We're just helping them. And if we can get into that role... Yeah then we're free to really be who God created us to be. And this picture can be what God wants it to be. And it doesn't have to be perfect. And can you look back and see that now? I can. And, you know, you're exactly right. I, we had a group therapy session with the trauma counselor, Luke, and his house dad. So we were all together and uh, did a session. And it was really, it was just so beautiful. And it was such a beautiful thing because... House Dad put it so eloquently. Um, you know, he kind of put his hand on Luke's shoulder and Luke was crying. And he's like, you know what, Benny? You have so many people in your corner. 
so many people. What happened to you was so unfair. It was so unfair, and it was not your fault. But look at all these people that you have supporting you. Your mom and your dad love you. They're sitting here. They're in. They're, they're your mom and dad. And I want to be very clear. We did have not relinquished our son. He is completely our son. He's he just is living in this different. You know, he's not living in our home. But there's no relinquishment that occurred. Mm-hmm. And he said, "You have your house dad, your house mom. You have your therapist." You have your mom and your dad and all these people here to support you and to help you and to help you become the best man that you can possibly be. And we all believe in you and we all are going to be here for you through the whole entire thing. And for that, you are one lucky little boy. And I just thought, wow, wow. So amazing. It it just, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I thought, it's so true. And I'm so grateful to be his mom, but to have other people help me, help us parent our son mm-hmm. in a way that is healthy for him and for everybody. What would be the one piece of advice you would give a family struggling right now? Oh, talk to people. Don't be scared to talk about it. Don't be ashamed. Um, you didn't do anything wrong. Talk to your friends. Uh, you know, if you have, I guess, if you people at church, that's that can offer you some help. I would say, you know, the church is a whole probably different subject, but I'm not even sure they know how to deal with it. But really, I think the church is really good at like the side of, yay, you know, what the Bible says about adoption and, you know, that we're all adopted into the kingdom of God. And they not necessarily don't know how to deal with the hard side, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what do we do there? That's, I don't know. I would just say to keep trying and, and, don't give up. Talk to your friends. Um, you know, we were very, very fortunate to find this amazing trauma therapist. Not all trauma therapists are created equally, I know, because we saw a lot. And just to keep trying and keep looking and keep listening to the podcast. And, um, you know, the more people that speak out, the more resources that become available. Noel, thank you so much for joining our show. Thank you for having me back, April. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.